take the mark. Oh, he's a light, Gary Ablett. Look at this. Here is the magician at work. He shoots towards goal. What more can you say? Hargraves kicks inside the 50. Bounces in front of Burns. Burns magnificently. This deserves a goal. And he's got it. What a classic. Inboard, awkward kick by Colbert. Half, half, ball, 50-50. Riccardi, brilliant. What a goal this will be. Matching. free of the tackle and Roof rolls it along the line. Oh. That is amazing. After in comes Doggan once again. Doggan streaks goalwards, he kicks. He's got a through. Steve Johnson, another one who the Cats will be hoping gets up today. Ooh, and again there's a turnover and Ablett, the little genius, drives it home. It's the Cats Whiskers. Hello and welcome to the Cats Whiskers for another week. I'm Wes Cussworth. Thanks for tuning in, whether you're hearing us on Sport FM 91.3 in Perth or through any of a range of podcast platforms. Let's meet this week's panel, beginning with Anthony Petkovic. And I believe you have some reservations about our friend Asava Radigalea. Well, I just was intrigued on Saturday that Asava was obviously from... uh, very early in the third term, uh, suffered a big cork thigh, couldn't run, couldn't jump, couldn't kick, couldn't get the ball. Before he was injured, he only had two kicks to his name and didn't add to that tally after he was injured. We've got a medical sub. I just shouldn't have to tell the Geelong coaching box this, but we actually had a fit player in uh, Quinton Narkel on the bench, ready to go. And yes, we eventually deployed him, Wes, with two minutes and 58 seconds left on the clock. Mm. Um, and, you know, the average supporter out there, you know, honestly, coaching isn't rocket science, but they try and tell us that it is. Yes, continues to get a bit of a, a tough run from the uh, Geelong coaching fraternity, does our Quinton Narkel. Well, Mark Runger's also with us, and I know that you're a massive fan of Patrick Dangerfield. Is he set to take the finals by storm, Mark? Uh, good evening, Wes. Good evening, uh, fellow panellists and all of our listeners. Yes, uh, I think there's some ominous signs for danger. He just looked on Saturday night against St Kilda that the old danger that we know is is not far away. He uh, was uh, quite instrumental in, in Geelong's win on the weekend and, and getting them across the line. And I just sense that with all the interruptions uh, he's had through the course of this year that he might just about be ready to... Uh, to tear apart this uh, final series and uh, stamp his name on it. Of course, it's uh, it's unfinished business for him. He, he still desperately wants that premiership. And I think he figures that the way Geelong are going into the final series, that uh, this might be his best chance. And he's going to be a really important cog in that machine, Wes. So look out. It could be the danger final series. Yeah, he certainly does seem very hungry for success indeed. And Mark Browning's uh, another part of, an important part of our panel. And uh, I believe you have uh, made your decision, Mark Browning, with regards to the Dom Sibley game of the round. 
Uh, thanks, Wes. Hello, and hello, everyone else. Uh, yes, cleared all my commitments last uh, Saturday afternoon and tuned in from halfway through the third quarter of the uh, Hawthorne Bulldogs game. Score at the time was uh, pretty tight. Hawthorne 5-7, Bulldogs 5-6. 45 minutes of football time later, the Bulldogs had increased their total by one behind. Now, that to me is a lot... Dom Sibley award goes to the team that spends a lot of time in the middle and doesn't score anything. And uh, they certainly achieved that. On YouTube, there's an old black and white uh, game from 1973 from the Western Oval in the mud. Also Hawthorne versus the Bulldogs. And uh, the score at the end of that game is nine, very similar to the one at the weekend, 9-11 to 6-9, won by Hawthorne. Um, Thorold Merritt's the ABC commentator says it was a dreary game of football yet it had actually one more goal scored than the game in Launceston at the weekend so yeah clear-cut winner the Bulldogs something going wrong down at Doggyland at the minute I think. Mm, They're a little off the boil at the moment aren't they we can talk more about that in the latter part of our program. Uh, This week's guest coming up is Dale Smith a local product who was recruited for Mindalee who first played in the hoops as a 17-year-old at Kidinia Park. Welcome back to the Cats Whiskers. Our guest this week is Dale Smith, a man who played seven games for the Cats in the early 1980s. Recruited from Inverlee, he debuted at just 17 years of age. Dale played in three consecutive reserve grade premierships with Geelong before leaving the club and handing over the number 25 jumper to none other than the infamous Mark Jacko Jackson. Dale, welcome to the Cats Whiskers. Yes, thank you for having me, I think. It sounds pretty good so far. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dale, uh, as Wes said in the introduction there, 17 years old and you arrived down at Cadinia Park. uh, How how do you think uh, things were going at that stage? You know, you must have thought that was pretty good to arrive down there as a 17-year-old. Yeah, I uh, spent a bit of a few years prior to that at the under-19s uh, and made my way through those grades. So I, was, I actually went down, as I said to Wes, when I spoke to him recently, uh, I went down there when I was about 14 So uh, and started with the under-19s at Geelong and then progressed right through. So I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Dale, um, you were part of a progression of players that were coming in from Inverley at that stage, Malcolm Reid, Murray Whitcomb, Rod Blake, yourself. What was what was uh, going right down there at that time? Um, was it that I played on that ground in the early seventies and the Inverley ground in April, and it was it was like a piece of concrete. Did that help toughen you guys up? What was the, what was the secret? Uh, to be honest, I couldn't tell you. But it, for such a small place, and if you go back further, you got blokes like uh, the Hoskins uh, come out of there. John Thomas played out of there. So it, it goes quite a fair way back. Even even uh, Alan Woodman at some stage would have gone through there, I reckon. But uh, it was Rod Bacon and his brother both played there as well. So as I said, it was for such a small place, it uh, was a pretty good breeding ground, actually. I don't know what the secret was, but uh, obviously they brought us up pretty well out that way. Dale, when you first went down to the under-19s at such a young age, how, was it, how did you feel and, and how was it received by the other players? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know whether how it was received, but look, I suppose when when I just came down, I, as I said, I was part of the scholarship squad, and and that, that sort of just progressed through. So, um, I, I, look, I honestly don't know what they would have thought 
I suppose some of those blokes, as you said, like Neville Bruns was playing at that sort of stage as well. So uh, those blokes were sort of that two or three or four years older than myself, but uh, they they were just treating me like anybody else, I suppose. And it was part of that side, and that's the way it was. That was the way it was done. So, what were your what were your expectations of yourself at such a young age in the under nineteens? Uh, to be honest, I just enjoyed playing footy and uh, I really just welcomed the opportunity to be down there, I suppose. As I said, it sort of changed uh, a lot of things that I looked forward to in footy. As I said, probably became a little bit more serious earlier than probably I wanted to, but as I said, uh, I wouldn't have changed anything for my life. I reckon I thoroughly enjoyed that time down there and, and obviously football has been probably a large part of what I've done for a long, long time. What about the training load that was... Uh I suppose, imposed on you in terms of the step up from uh, country footy to heading down there to KP and coming through the ranks, as you just explained that you did. Um, obviously, it would have been quite an imposition in terms of the, the workload required. Absolutely. I think in hindsight, that's probably, a, a, probably a, if I could change one thing, that would probably be the only thing, I reckon. But as I said, we at under-19s, we trained, we would start prior to the seniors actually turning up and there'd be nights when we were still out there going and they were driving at the gate going home again. So uh, that was under Lloyd Williams and, and he was a, like, he was a great coach and uh, he would have us regularly around there on a Monday night after a game and go through the video with individual players and sometimes if you were by yourself, it uh, wasn't the most pleasant of experiences, but he fed you pretty well when you were around there. Dale, uh, you made your debut in, in 1980 in the, in the ones against North Melbourne. I think it might have been at Arden Street. Um, started off pretty well, had a, a pretty good uh, opening uh, performance. Uh, tell us uh, your memories of Arden Street that day because uh, a lot of our listeners wouldn't even be aware of what Arden Street was back in the day. And, uh, and also maybe some of the names that you, uh, you found yourself uh, chasing around after on the day. Well, actually, it was funny because the first day, that first game I played was against Brian, Will, uh, Brian Wilson and it was a year after he transferred from Melbourne after winning the Brownlow medal, I think. So that was my first encounter um, down there. And I think one of the, I suppose, the most striking memory from that game, I think Sam Newman played centre forward that day and kicked six goals. So um, that was a pretty big achievement for, for, for being that, in that side that day. So, But he had guys like Peter Featherby and, uh, you know, Paul Jeffries was running around and, uh, there's quite a number of you know good players through that side, so I consider myself pretty lucky to even be uh, playing on that park with a lot of those people. As I said, most of those blokes I'd sort of followed, always followed Geelong. Uh, probably actually since I uh, started following with Tony Polinelli, was probably my childhood hero. Um, and yeah, that was just a, a great, great piece of uh, I suppose memory. Now, been a long way back, so yeah, good. Dale, that was 1980, and it was a, it was a pretty good year for Geelong. Their best year, probably for a decade or more. Um, Goggin had come in. What did he do to the to the team? How did you respond to that? How did what was the vibe around the club? Well, I, I suppose being still at younger age, you sort of take a lot of things for granted, and you probably don't those those thoughts probably don't even cross your mind, to be honest. Um, as I said, I was just excited to be part of that group, and and with Billy, he gave me my first opportunity to play senior football. So, and I actually went into him not too long ago at a, at a function and we were just got talking and, and he also said just, and he's still got a great memory. He just said, oh, he said, you, you were a good footballer, but you had trouble with your legs. And I said, Billy, you, you're 100% right. So, um, as I said, it was just a, a tremendous 
place to be. Um, as I said, that, that success that year, and obviously the reserves were, were going along pretty well as well. So uh, it was a good place and a, and a popular place to be at that time. Dale, you very strong club in that years in which you played your senior football at Geelong, but the reserves was particularly strong. Three consecutive premierships, of which you were part of all of them, playing on that uh, that one day in September on the MCG. Um, what's your memories of playing in those three premierships? And and you were one of six players who played in all three. Do you remember any of the others? Uh, well, it was only recently we actually had a look through a list. I think, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think, was Kevin Sheen in all three? He certainly was, yes. He was captain on one occasion, yes. Yep. Yeah, um, I've got a feeling that... Um, was Ramsey Boganovic in the three of them or not? Well, on, he was. Big Ramsey Boganovic was certainly in all three of those premierships, yes. One yeah. more and you uh, win a prize, Dale. Alan Meggles was in one of them, but I don't think he was in too many of them. But um, I'm just It was uh, uh, Phil Maddock was in, in all three. Um, yep. Zane Taylor and yes. Philip Harrison was in all three. Yes. So the six of you have uh, that little trivia question in common and I often use it in some of my uh, trivia night things and uh, very few people get all six. Yeah, no, as I said, I, I probably could have got, I reckon I would have got Phil Harrison, but I don't know about Phil Maddox. Or, but then when you said it, soon, oh, yes, it was. Because as I said, it wasn't that long ago I had actually went through the list. Uh, I don't know, I think Ray Card might have sent it through to me uh, at some stage. So yeah, Ray was in two of them, so uh, he got in there for two out of the three. So like Meatloaf, two out of three. Side, side bottom was in one of them. Possibly two, possibly, no, one yeah. maybe. One uh, Gary in 81. Yes, absolutely. So it was, a, it was a very good side and Geelong had great depth in those, those times. But what was it like playing on the MCG on grand final day? It must have been a thrill. Oh, absolutely. I suppose if you can't make the big one, the, the game after us, that was the best next thing to be at. And uh, as I said, I, I was lucky enough to play in the three of them. And uh, it is, it's a greater feeling, especially, especially when you get towards the end of the game and, and, and obviously, with we winning them, it was okay. But the, that's the noise that started to eventuate um, with the with obviously the senior people coming in to watch the senior game. But there was a fair bit of noise and atmosphere once the once the game got towards the end. It was um, again something that I probably won't forget. And uh, I've still got the three videos on videos, mind you, on videos, not DVDs. So um, still got them in my drawer at home. Uh, we'll soon have those converted for you, Dale. Don't worry about that. I reckon we'd all probably relish having a look at another Geelong Premiership, even if it's, uh, as you said, perhaps not the seniors, but the reserves. We still credit that, absolutely. And they were all under David Harris, is that right? Yes, yes, they were all under David Harris. And uh, he was one of our very good coaches down there. And obviously, you can only say that because he gave me plenty of opportunity. So, again, you, you sort of appreciate those sort of to spend time with you and bring you through and uh, give you an opportunity. And that's, that's, that's half the battle in footy, I think, just people being able to get, giving you an opportunity to show what you can do. And, uh, Dale, I was just going to uh, talk about uh, David Harris or Darkie Harris, as he's better known, and also Billy Goggin. Um, the, the, the reality is is that the, the two of them had been sort of mates for, for years and had, had coached around locally in, in Geelong and, and that. And so they must have formed a really good partnership with each other there at Geelong, and, and that must have meant a lot in terms of the success that both sides were, uh, were having at the time. I, I reckon I agree with you there. 
I think one of the major things that I've probably learned during my time in, in football is is just the ability of a senior coach or a coach that's sort of bringing you along to be able just to communicate with, doesn't matter whether you're the first player picked or the last player picked. And in the time I was down there, I, you know, I don't, I don't believe anyone was distinguished any more than any other person. You sort of all got spoken to and treated the same sort of way, which when you sit back and look at it now, um, I'm not too sure whether some of those blokes had those communication skills, especially in the way the game's played. But they were, they were really good at that. And, and that's one of the things that you sort of appreciate. As I said, you sort of got a good feel for where you were at, what you needed to do. Um, you know, there were stages there where they took me on a separate plan to get my body right or my legs right. And I actually had a, a, a bloke that worked in the army and he actually took me aside and we, I did extra, well, not additional training, but training instead of to try and get that right. So they were always looking at that. And that was back, as I said, you're looking at 30 or 40 years ago. So it, it just does make a difference. Absolutely. Now you, you got your little cluster of games of five there in 1982 and it was hot and cold results for Geelong that year, but you, you had a, a Great upset win over the Blues, the eventual premiers in 82 um, at Cadinia Park. Uh, Carlton side full of legends as well, like the North Melbourne game. Do you have any recollection of that that great win? Or, or does the follow-up week at Richmond against Richmond at Waverley, when I looked at the stats, we were 114 points behind at three-quarter time. Does the positives or the negatives stay in your mind longer? Uh, probably... Probably, well, it's hard to say because, to be honest, I can only I can remember playing against uh, against North Melbourne, and I can remember playing against North Melbourne. Uh, sorry, against Hawthorne at home. I remember playing in Sydney on Pacini and Stevie Wright. I remember getting belted one day at uh, Footscray, saw and Bees, who I think kicked uh, maybe kicked ten or eleven goals on Darren Flanagan, Stephen Reynoldson, and maybe even Richard Murray that started on him or played on him at that stage, and I was right beside him, so I saw plenty of that. But to say the other three games I played, I couldn't tell you who they were, to be honest. Now, I, I don't know whether there too many knocks on the head, but um, they're, they're just games that I can't remember fully. I, I remember the Hawthorne game pretty well because I played on Alan Goad. Um, yeah, so that's that, the seven games, actually, I'd probably be interested in and uh, to see who the other three were. And actually, my, my, my mother had all the information at home. So, yeah, believe it or not. Well, you, uh, Dale, I want to tell you this. Uh, in, in 1982, that win against Carlton, you had a, a stellar game. Uh, 15 kicks, eight marks, four handballs. And, uh, and uh, that was, uh, I think, one of the standout performances of, of uh, your career. So don't worry about that. I remember it. So, um, right, all right. so there I'm, you go. Somebody does. As I said, I, I can't. As I said, I don't know why I remember the other four. Um, but the other three, oh, honestly, um, uh, I can't remember uh, the Richmond game either. Who was the other game? Can you tell me that? Fitzroy, maybe? No? Yeah. Uh, could have been off the top of my head. I, I know you have the unusual distinction of your first game was at Arden Street against North Melbourne and your last game was at Arden Street against North Melbourne. Well, there you go. That, that must have been the other one then. So, that must have been <laughs> the other so there you go. Uh, 82 was Sydney, Footscray, Carlton, Richmond, North Melbourne. Rounds 15 okay. to 19. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I want to forget the game against Richmond if you're 114 points behind at three-quarter time as well, Dale. I think uh, most, yeah, of, well, most of us probably I'll, would. I'll tell, you one, I'll tell you another story. We played against Essendon one day and the reserves had a great win and the seniors got belted by 99 points. 
And the next day at training, I think we did 14 laps of Indian file and competitive work for about an hour. I tell you what, it was the worst worst Sunday morning. And in those days, not like today's blokes, they uh, you probably went out on a Saturday night and had a few. And and uh, when you got back, that's what you come up with. So that was a, that was a morning to remember on a Sunday. I can tell you that. Dale, I just want to come forward to the to the present time, and uh, we we've discussed many times um, on this show over the last couple of years the uh, the unfortunate uh, fortunes of uh, Quentin Narkle for the uh, for the Cats at the moment, where he is finding it very hard to uh, to cement a place in the uh, in the senior twenty two, and uh, finds himself you know in and out like a, a yo yo at times. Um, as someone who spent three three years senior football wise at the the Geelong Football Club, I know there's some slight differences. But do you sort of associate with someone like that who who has trouble in sort of, you know, is 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 good enough to play at that level, but just struggles because there's so much talent that's uh, that's on the list at the time. Yeah, I I do. Uh... My circumstance is probably a little bit different to his. I've really struggled in that later couple of years with a lot of hamstring injuries and uh, and muscle injuries. So that my my circumstance was different. But I, I feel sorry for a bloke like that. As I said, you, you offer him up and he goes anywhere else. He probably plays senior football for nearly every other league side. So um, I, I think he's doing a great job. He's obviously got a great resolve because he's, he sticks his head in all the time and he keeps putting his hand up and uh, and I suppose that's what you've got to do if you want to make a life out of your, your AFL football. But uh, as I said, those blokes that are on that water and continue to persist and try and get into a side, especially like Geelong and the way they've travelled over the last three or four years, then uh, you, he's got to be commended for his performance. And obviously he would have some great people around him, I would think, that are really trying to not keep him along, but keep him going and making sure that he's, uh, he's, he's putting his best foot forward every time. Dale, that that jump from reserves to seniors, even in your time, was that was it mainly a physical thing? You know, injuries obviously took a toll on you. How, what did you find was the biggest difference as you went up oh, the standards? Just the pace. Yeah, just the pace of the game. It, it was, uh, and I know they talk about the old football being kick and kick and uh, mark and kick and mark, but gee, I tell you what, when when sides move the ball pretty well through the football, and to be honest, I think the skill back then. I don't think they're any worse than what they are today, and probably goal kicking was probably blokes back then kicked better than what they do these days. So, no, I, I, that post definitely um, the physicality of the game that was uh, pretty much on a, on a par. That was still pretty tough football playing reserves to senior football. They probably just knew how to hit you a little bit harder in the senior level and hurt you a little bit more when they got older. So, but um, yeah, as I said, I, that, that just the pace of it. Yeah, you just didn't get that time to to do what you wanted to do, and if you took that extra step, you're gone. Dale, I want to ask a question that I, I, I wouldn't call it a delicate question, but a, a question I want to phrase um, properly because each of us here talking would love to have played just one game for Geelong, um, no matter how, how bad or good it might have been. You played seven. Do you consider that you, you made it as a player or do you think you left senior football a little bit unfulfilled and a little bit disappointed? Uh, to to be honest, the um, I, I I would have loved to achieved. I'm not saying I want to play another 15 games or 20 games or 50 games would have been ideal, but yeah, I, I just felt when I left there at, in the end of I said 83, so I went back to Bell Park. Um, I was only uh, pretty young at that stage, still, and probably had still football left in. But I, I, the enjoyment had gone. 
for me because uh, in the pre-season games prior to or that that season before I left, I had plenty of injuries the year before and wanted to prove myself, but I just found myself that I wasn't getting the opportunities that I had with with Billy Goggin and Darkey um, along those times. So as I said, when that enjoyment went for me, um, I just made a decision to to step back a level and go and play with some some mates at Bell Park. And I suppose a follow-up question to that is, was your love of the game restored when you had that opportunity to return to local football? And you put a lot into local football, not only at Bell Park, but back at Inverlee. And and now for many, many years now, those people that live in the Geelong region know what a fantastic job you do promoting the Geelong and District Football League uh, on the pulse as a football commentator. And uh, people really, really appreciate and value what you do there. Was was your love of football restored? I, I, yeah, sense, it I sense it was. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I, I love what I was doing. And as I said, um, I had my stint at coaching at, at senior level and probably got the most enjoyment out of coaching the Bannockburn under-18s when I coached them for about four or five years, I think. And I think we made the grand final uh, in each of those years, but just couldn't couldn't get to the final step. And... Just to see those young kids uh, progress, I, I got probably more enjoyment out of that part of my football life than I did. As I said, I still love playing and playing in premierships, but that was another great part of my football journey. And, and doing what I'm doing now, I'm, it's a bit unfortunate now because you don't get that consistency every week to go and do it. So mm. it's uh, it's it's COVID uh, trouble, but we'll just uh, hopefully get some final football in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you mentioned earlier about you, your idol growing up being Tony Polinelli, the, the great player for the Cats uh, back in the day. Uh, who, who are some of your uh, favourite Cats at the moment, uh, Dale? And uh, and also, how do you assess the uh, the Cats' chances in 2021? Do you think they've uh, got what it takes to uh, to uh, get the Cup this year? They play When they play some really good football, they play some really good football. Um, the last couple of weeks, I don't think they've played good football and they've lost one and won one. So I just, look, as I said, more, I know they talk about the danger field to Selwoods and all that sort of stuff, but for me, the first bloke I'd pick every week would be Mitch Duncan. I just think he is just, uh, he's just elite with his foot skills and um, he'd be the bloke I'd have, if I was coaching any other side, he'd be the first bloke I'd take from there. And, and, and Jeremy Cameron, as much as, if he could actually do a full season of training, it, I don't know what he could do, but he's just been enormous in what he's done. But look, I, I look, I said, I look at them all. And, and you could look guys like uh, Tommy Stewart at the moment. I think for a bloke that's uh, come from where he has been, um, he's just excelling. And I think it's one of the bigger holes Geelong's will have to fill over the next couple of weeks. Just just on the, uh, the Tom Stewart one, uh, Dale, uh, I suppose he sends a really strong message to, to players in the GFL and the other leagues around the area that, you know, with the right opportunities, th- th- there's no reason why you can't play AFL football for Geelong or, or any other club for that matter. That's exactly right. And as I said, there's, there are people out here looking at uh, different levels of football all the time. And, and obviously with Matthew Scarlett being there, that was obviously a, a hand up for him. But to see what he's been able to achieve. Now, I never actually saw him play at South Barwon, um, but from all reports, he was pretty handy sort of football. And obviously, Matty wouldn't have sent him down there without him being so. But to be able to do what he has done, um, you know, as I said, and at the age he's come into that side, uh, it is. It it just gives blokes that if you want to persist at it and have a crack at it and put the best foot again forward, you know, the opportunities can present themselves. So it's, uh, it's not worth... Not worth putting your head in the sand and if you want to have a go, have a go and see where you go. That's it. 
Dale, uh, when you played, there were 12 Victorian sides, 20 guys picked each week. If you were on the bench and didn't get on the ground, didn't count as a game. Now there's probably an extra 150 players playing, running around each weekend, playing AFL. If you were playing now, would you have been prepared to be drafted to the Gold Coast? And uh, did you ever, did any of your games you could have counted as a medical sub or emergency or something where it would have counted as extra games for you? Yeah, well, I suppose that would have been a nice option to have. Would I have gone that far? I'm not too sure. There was one year, I think, when uh, Brian Peake first came over. I know that it was mid-season. I was actually going to be heading to, I think it was the first where he came from. But the week before, I got or was going to go across, I tore my hamstring again. So I opted out of that. Now, hindsight now, maybe if I had gone across there, that might have changed things for me a little bit. Might have renewed a bit more interest again. But um, as I said, I just took the option that I got through the season there at uh, Geelong and then obviously the following season I left, I think. So, yeah. So, as I said, it's it's just about, you know, I, I still look at guys like Gary Moorcroft and those sort of blokes who have been knocked back a couple of times but just kept persisting because they wanted to stay there and, and he's just showing what else you can do if you want to do that. So, so their will may have been a bit better than mine, but as I said, my enjoyment of the game was something I would want to have and that's why I'd opted to go back those levels. Dale, a lot of the people we interview as part of the Cat's Whiskers have uh, talked about their injury issues. You're not an isolated case. So um, it, it does show that uh, that uh, some people's careers uh, literally hang by a thread. You had hamstring and other leg-related issues throughout your playing career. And um, could you detail some of those injuries and the impact they had on you? Uh, as in... Time missing games was probably yes. enormous. One year, I think I think I played eight games for one year with hamstrings. Keep just continually doing. It was either there on my on my quadriceps. I kept tearing them. Um, again, I probably as I said I was going back to where I started the fourteen. The, the workload in those first two or three years at under nineteen level when we we're doing a, a you know quite a bit of work. Maybe that was where it initiated from. But as I said to you, Wes, the other day when I spoke to you, I, I don't think I would have changed anything if they had have said we'll get you down in two years' time or would you come down today? I would have said every day I'll come down today and try. So that was just the way I, as I said, I really love footy. So that was that was why I did it. And then, of course, you've got those issues that are spoken of more in more recent times, such as the concussion-related issues and things like that. Do you you see the attack on the football? Do you see the attack on the, the, the opposition player by the tackler? Do you... Do you fear for what some players might find in years to come to to like a, a Diesel Williams who's really struggling in that space? Oh, look, it, it, it must be frightening. As I said, I I, I think I missed uh, as in, as in head knocks to actually knocked out, and and I think there was only three or four occasions that that actually happened to me. But um, I don't I don't know. As I said, like you look at John Barnes and Greg Williams and all those sort of blokes who are now really struggling with that side of things and. It's hard to get your head around, to be honest. That, that you know, when you're playing football, you don't even you don't even consciously think about that sort of stuff. That's not even that's probably the last thing you think of playing football. So, um, and and obviously it's now it's it's uh, prevalent for everybody. Um, you know, the head eye tackles and all the rest are going in a game. It's probably changed the way the game is played. But uh, and there's some things there that in being an old time person you don't sort of agree with. But you can see 
what can happen. And as I said, it's not it's not just now. It's it's later in life when they finish their football and ten years down the track and they've got kids running around. Um, that that that's massive now. It is. It's enormous. Well, Dale, we've absolutely had a fantastic time reminiscing with you about your uh, career at the Geelong Football Club. As uh, Anthony mentioned earlier, we are quite envious of anyone who plays even just one game in the uh, Blue and White Hoops. So uh, congratulations on your, your time at Geelong. And uh, may you uh, continue to, uh, to contribute to local football, Dale Smith. And uh, we thank you very much for taking some time to talk to us on the Cat's Whiskers today. No, that's a pleasure, mate, any time. As I said, I enjoy talking football with anybody, any time, so it's all good. Welcome back to the Cats Whiskers. I'm Wes Cusworth, joined by Anthony Petkovic, Mark Brunger and Mark Browning. We're going to look a little more deeply at the issues in AFL football. And we're going to begin with the team for Tassie, Anthony Petkovic. I know that you're particularly interested in this one. You love the Apple Isle. I do, and, and Colin Carter, I'm sure, deep down does too. But the report that he issued last week, there's that Muriel's wedding, that scene in Muriel's wedding where the, where the father, who is the local town mayor, keeps bumping into the, um, his girlfriend when he's out with his family on every trip. Deirdre. He says, Deirdre Chambers, what a surprise to see you. <laughs> well, Colin Carter's report's a bit like that. Everyone was expecting a roadmap, a timeline, a time frame, a sort of setting out a, a, an actual an agenda for bringing this about. And but he's dodged the big questions. He's he's put a whole stack of Dorothy Dixes in there. Um, it's amazing. Just get on with it, AFL. You're dragging your heels. Just get on with it. Get Tassie in. They don't want to co-op another side from mainland, from the Victoria. No one really wants to go there from Victoria. Any club looking to do so, their supporters would tear the joint down. We just need a team in Tassie. Just get it done. I, th- I think the big sticking point, and, and I've listened to a lot of media coverage of this uh, during the last week, Anthony, and the real sticking point appears to be our old, old friend COVID-19 because of the, the impact that it's had on, um, on the AFL coffers in terms of having to ferry teams around the countryside in, in you know, chartered jets and, and all, the, all the arrangements they've had to make to keep the last two seasons afloat. Um, the, the AFL wouldn't feel that they have enough in the coffers to, uh, how shall we say, uh, support uh, a team in its infancy in its own right at the very uh, at the very moment. However, I don't think there was anything um, stopping Colin Carter from saying, well, you know, in the next five years, uh, let's let's have a plan in place to within the next five years to have the plans up and running ready for, you know, for a new team in say 2027. At least that way, Tasmania gets something to hold on onto. Uh, the, the the premier doesn't get too much more upset because the the fire and brimstone he came out with last week suggests that North Melbourne and Hawthorne are going to have a real hard time getting any games in Tasmania next year once the contract's done. Why, gentlemen, why do we have to assume that a relocated side would come from Victoria and wouldn't be a side from just north of the New South Wales-Queensland border when if they were relocated, there would be about a dozen people upset and they would be giving it. They would. They would be taking a club that will never have a culture because there is no heart to the Gold Coast in terms of 
it being a, a place. It's just a conglomerate of smaller towns along the coast. The one, and if you're talking about the financial side of it, um, surely they'd be a huge money drain. My understanding is North Melbourne, who seem to be in the gun, their finances aren't great, but they're certainly no great money money drain on the competition. So they want to save money, get aside with some support, and make some money out of a team. They move the Gold Coast down to become the Tasmanian Devils. Well, I've, I've got some bad news for you, Mark Branning, because uh, Gillan McLaughlin made it extremely abundantly, totally clear that the Gold Coast Suns are not going anywhere. Now, it's part of Colin Carter's report states that emphatically as well, that that, that, will not, that is not an option. So uh, there's very few things that they ruled out, and that was, that was one of them. So uh, it ain't... Historically. Well, they, they got the Fitzroy merger relocation wrong. They admit that now. And in 10 years' time, I think they, if they don't, they'll just keep get saying, well, why, why did we stick with the Gold Coast? Because to me, it's a non-entity and it will always be a non-entity. And just to keep private, at least, at least buy it back off somebody and, and run it and get rid of, uh, you know, private ownership, it's never worked. Um, it didn't work with the Brisbane Bears either. It's a waste of time. And it does seem like an opportunity to get rid of that uh, that club song, which I know that uh, is really at the heart of your argument, Mark Browning. Yeah, one of the major factors. <laughs> I, will, I, I will argue with you there on that, Mark Browning, because I still think the GWS uh, club song is the single worst one in the AFL. Well, there's a few candidates now. You haven't heard the big, big sound that's coming, Mark Brunger. But anyway, let's move along to the uh, Cats winning a premiership without uh, our all-Australian Tom Stewart. He was in stunning form, but it looks like we're going to have to do it without him. Yeah. And we do it without him. Had his surgery this week on Monday, and uh, from all reports, the surgery did go well. Uh, and I think uh, they asked uh, Chris Scott on uh, on the weekend at his press conference uh, what the chances were of Tom Stewart being back this year, and he said the best-case scenario uh, is the very last game of the AFL season. So, in other words, grand final day would be the best-case scenario for, uh, for Tom Stewart. However... Uh, with the type of injury he sustained, oh, I can't see that see that being a chance at all. So it really means that the Geelong defence is is going to have to uh, to rejig itself. We saw uh, uh, Mark Blixarves go back against uh, St Kilda last round, and and obviously Lockie Henderson comes into the uh, back end of the team, so that balances things up in the back line a little bit, but. I think the um, the spotlight is going to cast itself on on some of the lesser players. I mean, Tom Atkins needs to get back into that team. Uh, it puts a little bit of extra pressure on Jake Collajasny to uh, to maintain his form. So it's going to be uh, let's load up, boys, and uh, let's take a bit each and and try and see if we can cover uh, Tom's loss. Yeah, I've never heard a surgeon uh, say that the 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 surgery went badly, but uh, we'll take. The word for it there. But look, history is littered with teams that have won premierships without one of their top stars. Go back to 1966, St Kilda won it without Carl Dittrich in 71. Hawthorne won it without Peter Knights in 77. North won it without Keith Gregg. I could go on and on and on. Essendon won it without Paul Salmon in 84. Um, Adelaide won in 97 without Tony Modra and Mark Rusciuto. So it's great teams win flags. Um, individuals come and go. 
it's about the team and, and I'm sure with Matthew Scarlett looking after that defensive unit that they will cover his loss as best they can. I think they also have to be aware of the fact that um, they, they messed up the career of Egan uh, a decade and a bit ago and yes. it was about the same time of year and they tried to bring him back. They can say what they like to put the jitters up their opponents that, that Stewart's going to be there. Jason Snell's another one who... You know, it was mismanaged, so they they've really got to be careful because they've got a they've got a real gem there, and they've got to get another five years or more out of him, and they they want to nurse him through and not take a big risk um, with the future of Tom Stewart as well. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Mark Browning earlier in the program awarded his Dom Sibley Game of the Round, and it went uh, well. At least fifty percent of the award went to the Bulldogs. Just what has happened to the Bulldogs in recent weeks, boys? They seem to have dropped off the pace, don't they? Yeah, and, and it's uh, it's happened in in their key area too, which is the midfield. Uh, some of their uh, their better players in the midfield have, have just sort of uh, hit a bit of a form lapse at the at the wrong part of the season. They've been red hot in the centre for most of the year, but uh, their their um, their players in the midfield went missing on on Saturday. And I think Mark Browning, it's fair to say that even though the uh, the scoreboard probably didn't reflect it, the uh, the Hawthorne uh, mids uh, really did. Uh, Take the game right up to them, I think. Well, do, do sides, you guys can answer this for me, do sides change their training routines if they know they're going to play finals? Do they put in a surge or do they ease back? The sides that know they're going to finish in two weeks play harder at the end of the game, knowing that their bodies don't have to get through an extra month of football. Does that come into these situations where mid range sides that are not going to play, low off sides are not going to play finals? run over a side in the top four? I'm, I'm not sure. Or is it just confidence goes? It's really hard to judge. We won't know until the end of the season, I guess. We won't, but we've got a guide to this. We don't have to go back to 2016. The Western Bulldogs were easily the worst performed side on form going into that final series. And they turned it all around. They used the mid-season buy to get some of their players back fit. Um, and they took the final series by storm. In the last round of that 2016 Premiership season, they kicked six goals against Fremantle and lost by close to 40 points. So they were out of touch completely. So Bevo's just probably following the uh, form guide from 2016. But in terms of what you said, Mark, some clubs do engage in mini pre-seasons when they know their position is settled within the finals. And uh, some of them have... uh, They've not much left in the tank for uh, the games themselves, but they're they're thinking and planning ahead for the first week of the finals, and I think we'll see a different Bulldogs lineup um, there and then. I'd like to think so, uh, uh, Anthony, but uh, my fear is is that uh, Port Adelaide might give them a touch up on the weekend, and uh, uh, that uh, might push the Bulldogs into uh, to an elimination final, fifth versus eighth, and. Who knows where you go from there? So if, if the Western Bulldogs are going to be a major part of this final series, I'd be wanting to see them beat Port Adelaide on Friday night. Yeah, and Port, Port, remember, haven't beaten anyone um, in the top bracket of sides this season. They've fallen short each time. Let's talk about the pre-finals bye. Uh, it appears to have gone by the wayside. Good. Good, to Good. See, says Mark Brunga, Anthony Pekovic votes in the affirmative, and Mark Browning. No, yes, I'm pleased that it's gone. How does it, what's it, is it just four weeks of 
finals football. So therefore, last year it almost seemed like the, winning the qualifying final was a disadvantage because you got one week of football out of three. No, the AFL have already stated that the grand final will remain on the 25th of September, which means at some stage in the final series, maybe before the preliminaries or maybe before the grand final itself, there will be a bye. But for now, uh, football will roll into the final series straight after round 23 and uh, the grand final will remain on Saturday, September 25th. Mm, I, I, th- I think it's a good move because... Uh, the way COVID is uh, going at the moment uh, across Australia, I mean, of course, Perth is probably the um, where our listeners through Sport FM are, are probably uh, in a different set of circumstances to most of the other states on the eastern seaboard. Um, they they really appear to be the beacon, although Premier uh, Mark McGowan is uh, not making things terribly easy at the moment for the AFL. He's put in some some pretty strict protocols. Uh, but the thought the thought is is that uh, if if things go pear-shaped here in Victoria and they do need to go to WA, then what might happen is that you might have a, a, a buy between the semifinals and the preliminary finals. They move everyone over to WA, the four teams over there. They put them in jungle up and then they play the preliminary finals and the grand final is, is the, the favoured thought at the moment. But having said that, uh, they might need it the week before the grand final to move two teams to another state. So it will be used at some stage, but uh, Travis Old in his uh, infinite wisdom at the AFL uh, will uh, uh, wave the magic wand whenever he needs to. There's no COVID in regional Victoria. It'd be a lot cheaper to move Victorian teams down to Geelong and play a couple of finals down here, a preliminary final between the Cats and the Demons or something like that, or, or the Brisbane Lions down at Kidinia Park. You'd, you'd no COVID in Geelong. Put 20,000 in there. Would I can't see anything wrong with that at all. But probably moving the Gold Coast. Got as much chance as moving the Gold Coast, I reckon. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. There are a few commentators who are saying you can't play finals in front of empty crowds. I call BS because, to me, the finals are all about the team's getting the ultimate opportunity to win a premiership for what they've worked hard all season for. So to my way of thinking, if I have a choice between, say, uh, Geelong and, um, let's say, Port Adelaide playing uh, in in Perth because they can get a crowd over there versus playing at the MCG or GMHBA Stadium, I'm sorry, but I don't care if either GMHBA or the MCG are empty. That's where that game should be because Geelong finished higher on the ladder and deserves to have an advantage going into the finals. Look, I I hear what you're saying, Mark. From my point of view and knowing how the players feel about it, they want to play finals in front of crowds and I think that um, the players deserve that that opportunity to play in front of a live audience. So I understand what you're saying. I would love to see Geelong playing at home at Cadinia Park in the first week of the finals, if they finish on top of the ladder in particular. But I know deep down the players really want to play in front of crowds and um, we should do, my gut feel is we should do everything to to honour that if we can. And uh, finally, as part of our program tonight, Mark Brunger, you've got a few retirements and the listings that you've been able to pinpoint today. 
Yes, absolutely. Wes, and some uh, some big names have uh, hung up the uh, the boots or announced that they are hanging up the boots. Uh, David Asprey from uh, Richmond, a uh, two-time premiership player for the Tigers, has uh, decided that uh, after 150-odd games, it's time for him to uh, to call time. Also, uh, Sauce Jacobs and uh, Daniel Talia from the Crows have not been offered a contract for next year and both I think would be uh, pretty handy pickups in the uh, pre-season draft or in the uh, trade period. So watch this space in terms of their careers. But uh, Cale Hooker, great player for Essendon. He's a real swing man, can play back, can play forward, very damaging, good kick for goal up forward. I'm surprised he's retiring because I think Essendon are just on the verge of something big. So I'm not quite sure why he's decided that now is the time. But uh, congratulations to Cale on a wonderful career. And the fella who you can't even just use his first name. Whenever you refer to him, it's just got to be Eddie Betts from uh, Carlton and the Adelaide Crows. A magnificent ornament to the game. He'll play his 300th game, 350th game this weekend. And uh, he will retire at the end of the season. And I love the, the comment he made, boys, was that if I've put a smile on your face just once on the football field, then my job has been done. And, of course, uh, probably goes Carlton having a review and they need to review the decision they made uh, nearly a decade ago now to let Eddie Betts go to Adelaide, one of the most ridiculous, stupidest decisions made for it, to save a couple of dollars. And Mickey Malthouse, that was you, mate. Uh, they've made a few stupid decisions over the last 20-odd years, Carlton. He will be missed. Eddie Betts will be missed. Yeah, boys... I was just going to say uh, my, my greatest memory of, of Eddie is that goal he kicked in the uh, the forward pocket at the grandstand end of uh, the Adelaide Oval a few years ago. Just absolute genius with the football, knew where the goals were and uh, the AFL will be uh, poorer without Eddie uh, running around. It just did spring to mind given our Western Australian audience that we should just uh, pause to reflect on what an amazing atmosphere for the derby last week. Frio getting up over West Coast for the first time for quite some time. And that was probably one of the spectacles of the weekend, footy-wise. Yes, and also goal of the year in that game too. Yeah, it was a fantastic game. Fantastic last quarter. Um, it just reminds us of what we can get out of football when there are, when there are big crowds and they're 100% involved. Just, yeah, fantastic buzz. Indeed. Well, that is the program for this week. The Cat's Whiskers is accessible on a range of podcast platforms, along with being heard throughout Perth on Sport FM 91.3. On behalf of the team of Anthony Petkovic, Mark Brunger and Mark Browning, I'm Wes Cussworth saying thanks for tuning in and we hope you can join us again next week.